This is Randy Ham, and you are at First Baptist Vernon, where we are going through the book of First Peter for the fall, understanding what it means to flourish in the fire. As Peter is writing to Christians, the early Christians who were struggling with a lot of persecution, and though we have no clue really what they were going through, we have our own trials, suffering struggles in this day and age as well. And Peter wants to give us some some encouragement. And specifically in this passage today, he wants to tell us how we are purified by truth, what it means to be holy, but the answer might be a little surprising for some of us as we picture holiness a certain way. How does Peter picture it? Well, come along on this journey and find out. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 13, to 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Jesus, of, excuse me, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that 
By it, you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that by the, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Ruth. That was great. Well, we take a moment now to turn in God's Word. First Peter, if you haven't turned there, you sure can. Uh, I'm excited for the, the Word that the Lord has for us today. It's been a great, a great book to dive into, and I'm excited for what God has for us. Purified by truth for love's sake the title that I have. Now, I don't know if you noticed this last week, but there was a special study that came out by the Preventative Prevention Task Force. It's North American Federal uh, Prevention Services Task Force recommends anxiety screening for all adults under 65 years of old. 65 years age. I, I can say it right, I'm sure. 65 years old. There we go. For all adults. Now, uh, let, me, let me say this. If they are wanting to know if we're all stressed out and anxious about the future of the world, the economy, where our children will live, if they'll be able to buy a house or pay for rent, or if there'll even be a climate that sustains life for them, I can save these people some time. I can say, yeah, of course, everyone's anxious about our future. Unless, of course, you're over 65, I guess. <laughs> For some reason, they think you're exempt. Maybe you don't have any stress, or maybe you have so much that you're going to throw off the scale. I don't know which one it is, but the reality is, is that we are living in a very stressful, anxiety-producing time. Some sociologists have been studying this for a while, and they see that we are in a dramatic, perhaps even traumatic, shift right now. From the previous era that we have been in to an emerging era. Do you feel that tension in our world today? That reality? And if you want to know where you are in the midst of this, you're right there. We are in the gray zone. The gray zone, maybe in part because of the gray around my temples it's causing. You know what I mean. So what does it feel like to be living in that gray zone between these eras? There is definitely an increase in uncertainty, an increase in anxiety, and the complexity of navigating these two eras can cause a lot of that anxiety. Does the world around you feel complex? If it doesn't, uh, let me introduce you to a couple of the youth. And after talking with them for five minutes, you'll, you'll realize, whoa, life is complex these days. Now, as a result of this uncertainty that we're facing as our world transitions between these two eras and we're uncertain about things, we can tend to get quite certain about some things. Maybe that we want to stay in the previous era. 
Isn't that so much better if we could just stay how things were and we can solidify certain things in our lives and say it's going to stay the same. I just know it will if I try hard enough as the world keeps changing. Now, if we wrestle with this uncertainty inside, we can begin to realize, wow, actually, I can get really angry about these changes and things are being forced on me. I'm having to, I'm having to roast dark roast coffee. What's going on? We've only ever had regular and decaf. Now we have dark roast? What's going on here? Which bag is which? Now, of course, we can play and make a little joke about some of this, but some of it's very, very real. And it doesn't take long to look online or on Facebook to see how some people get very angry about changes that are happening around them, how we can tend to disagree with someone and hang on to something that we identify with and say, this is where I'm putting my identity. This is the way things have to be. And I'm going to get really angry and put down others that disagree with me. That can happen in this gray zone. Our hope being that we can hold on to some semblance of that present or previous era. Now, the main problem with this is even if we're hanging on to wonderful things about the church, we can hang on to them in a way that is completely separate from what Jesus was all about. Now, our social scientists say that this happens about every 500 years in our world. One of the main shifts was back at the Reformation about 500 years ago. Around every 500 years, there's been a major shift like this, which means if we go back 2,000 years, the last, that shift around that time was right when this New Testament, the New Testament part of our Bible was written. It was during the time of the Gospels, and obviously Jesus was a major part of that shift happening. And so the people that these letters, including 1 Peter, the people that these letters were written to were going through a similar shift. There was a previous era and an emerging era, and they were caught in their gray zone. And Peter knew that the, these earlier followers of Jesus needed some guidance as to what it meant to be following Jesus in the midst of that stressful time, that gray zone that they were in. And our passage today is a brilliant example of Peter helping them to shape their identity, to be refocused on Jesus, on becoming like God, God's plan for them, instead of being run by their own fears and their passions that they were wrestling with. So we're going to explore that and see what it means for us. So pray with me as we go to this passage together. Jesus, we want to open ourselves up to you once again. We thank you for Peter, how, how honestly he's been portrayed in Scripture, and yet his pastoral heart for your people in this time that they were wrestling with and the struggles that they had. Lord, help us see and understand your word today. Reveal and illumine your word to us and how it can affect us today, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Well, last week we heard in the first part of chapter 1, we heard that we are to have our faith, our trust, placed firmly in Jesus. And that trials that come, the sufferings that we experience, will refine that faith. And that God will do something glorious through them. And we don't have to be afraid of the struggles that we have, but we can embrace them and say, Lord, teach us through them. And then we come to our passage today, where Peter says, therefore, 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 set your hope fully on the grace that Jesus brings. That's what Peter says. Don't put your hope in anything else but Jesus' grace in the midst of a transition gray zone time. Now, Peter doesn't just leave us with that. How do we do this? Well, Peter will tell us. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, put your hope fully in Jesus' grace. Now, the KJV, any KJV fans out there, maybe you have yours open and you're like, what? It doesn't say that here in mine. It says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds. Uh, That's how they would have said it. That's actually the Greek. That's a more literal translation. He's saying, be alert. What would they use? They'd use that imagery of the soldier girding up their loins, getting their their military outfit ready for battle. They're not going to let the robes hang down. They're going to be strung up, tightened up, and ready for action. That's the idea here that Peter's wanting to say, except of your minds. So be alert. The message, Eugene Peterson, says it this way, roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game. So be alert. Be ready. This actually, the the word here for alert is nepho, is the Greek. It means to be free from illusion. Don't buy into false images. It means having one's wits or faculties about them. Don't be given to irrationality. Don't wander down some path in the midst of a fit of passion. Peter is saying... And all that's going on around you, stay grounded. Remember what you know. Remember who you are. Don't don't give into passions. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The word here for desires is the passions or feelings that are within us. And Peter's saying, don't be conformed to them. Don't give in to that, what's hiding under the surface. Don't let your fears, your anxieties, motivations for pleasure or comfort or control or power, don't let those be what drives you. That's what life was like before you got to know Jesus and his grace. When you didn't know this new reality, this new birth, 
Now, instead, instead of living out all of these fears, anxieties, motivations, instead of that, he says, be holy. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, what comes to your mind when I say be holy? Maybe robes and hymns. Maybe a monk. I don't know. Maybe a shirt and tie. Right? Am I, some would say, as a pastor up here, I'm not being quite as holy as I could be. Right? Maybe it's that slicked hair that my mom... You know, that one hair out of... You know, I couldn't go into church with that one hair out of place. It had to be slicked over. Is that, is that holiness? I'm not sure. Maybe no movie theaters or no dancing. No, no movie theaters, even if it was that new Disney movie about that cute little puppy, Benji. Wasn't allowed to go. It was okay if I watched it on TV. But not the movie theater. Now, Peter here doesn't say that being holy is about acting just uh, acting certain ways or avoiding certain things, do the right things, avoid certain things. In fact, he doesn't say do holy, which there are certainly amounts of that in Scripture, no doubt about it. But he says be holy, embody holiness. Now, if you remember, we talked a little bit about how Peter, Peter had to be called out in the book of Acts for acting holy once already. Remember that story? Paul comes to him and says, Whoa, Peter, you're tempted to give in to your old passions. You have some fears and anxieties here. And when you are around the religious people, and you just need to, you feel like you need to act like them. And you're being run by these passions. And Paul says, Give it up. Smarten up. Don't be irrational. Peter, don't be run by your fears, these passions. Instead, be holy. Fascinating, isn't it? So don't compare yourself to those around you, trying to live up to someone else's standard. Instead, remember who it is that calls you and who this Father is like. And be like your good father. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this next part. He says, you call out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. So we are to be holy. And how does that look? We are to live as exiles, with reverent fear is one thing that Peter says. And what does he mean with this? What Peter's getting at is that we are to remember that we were meant for something much higher and more glorious than the base passions of our hearts and what we could be motivated to here in the world. And right now we're in a time where churches are saying, whoa, we have to get back to our previous era. 
and we might have to vote for someone that uh, doesn't seem much like Jesus, but they're going to get us back to that. Exiles means recognizing that we're in a different place than the world around us. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not about making our world a Christian world. It's about living holy lives in the midst of our world. Drawing people to Jesus, to his kingdom. Which means we are to live with a certain humility that acknowledges (coughs) also that we may that we may like actually the privilege and the power and the control that we have in this world over other people and to live with reverent fear that says okay god teach me to be like you it also means that we are to remember that Jesus paid our price. That you have been redeemed, bought back from a life run by our selfish passions, and that Jesus is at work in us so that we can be truly holy, and that we can be like God. It's interesting here in verse 22. Peter, after this beautiful, this beautiful uh, understanding of the, the theological work of Christ, that we have not ent- em- entered into an empty way of life handed down f- to us, but that we've been bought back by the precious blood of Christ, that he was chosen and has brought us and given us new life. Our faith and hope are in him alone. And so then he says, now, now, all right then. Once you've done that, done what? He says, once you've purified yourselves, or actually a better translation is, since you've had your souls purified by truth, once you've done that, you've been purified by truth so that, what, Peter? What are we to do? Why did Jesus do all this work in us? So that, are we to get out there and, uh, and fight for our truth? Make things a better place by uh, might and power? Peter says, you've been purified by truth, or Jesus' grace in your life, that truth, so that, I'm getting there, the Greek word here is for a practical purpose, a result, so that you have a sincere love for each other. That's the result of God's truth in our lives. Not so that we're right and we can tell others that they're wrong. That's not not the result of God's truth in our life. Peter says, since that's what's to happen... He drives home the point. That's what's supposed to happen. So love, love one another deeply. 
from the heart. The point here is to love earnestly, strenuously, fervently. That's what the Greek word means, and we translate it from the heart, with all that we have. It means, it actually means, uh, ektenos is the word, and it means to be fully stretched, fully stretched, full potential, without any slack. We're to love without any undue let up, without any slack, completely taut, pulling our hearts to their full extent as we love each other. That's the result of God's truth in her life. It's that we are to love like this. Peter's clear. You have a new life in Jesus, then live it out with love. God's enduring and living word has given us new life. Don't waste it. To drive his point home further, Peter decides to quote from Leviticus. Such an encouraging word here, Peter, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. He's reminding us, reminding us that our hope should not be in ourselves, but, he says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. End of chapter 1. I'll I'll last a little bit. A little bit off there, Peter, maybe, but encouraging in the end. Except just because this is the end of the chapter, remember in original letters, a chapter break, there was no chapter breaks. They just wrote the whole letter. They didn't say end of chapter 1. All right, chapter 2. No. Just because it's the end of chapter 1 does not mean it's the end of his train of thought. And you might have noticed earlier that when we read through, when Ruth read through the scripture, she went right into chapter 2. And some of you might have went, wait, what's going on here? Is this proper? Aren't we supposed to end at chapter 1? No. No, no, no. He's chugging on. And for the first three verses of chapter 2, Peter has his very practical application of the glorious truth that he's been giving us. Therefore, he says once again. Therefore, and when there's a therefore, we have to ask, what's it? Therefore. It's to link us back to this truth that he's been saying. We've been given this new life in Jesus. And can it be that we should gain from what Jesus did for us? Yes, Peter says, you get to live out this holy life like Jesus himself, have we been purified by truth and now we are saved and we have no concerns? No. He says, you've been purified by truth for love's sake, to pour out your life like Jesus did for others. Therefore, there's going to be some things that have to change. Therefore, he says, even though you love Jesus, even though you're a part of his church, You've got some stuff to do. 
Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Do you see what holiness looks like for Peter? He's concerned about our hearts and how we treat each other. All malice. Peter's saying, quit looking down at others. All deceit. Be honest. Stop pretending. There's no pretending in Jesus' kingdom. Hypocrisy. Don't be like I was, Peter says, when he was acting out like others, trying to live up to some standard. Let's all rely on Jesus' grace. He says, stop the envy. For some of us, that might mean giving up social media for a while as we wrestle with it. It definitely means stopping comparing ourselves to anyone else. And he says, and slander of every kind. Now remember, Peter traveled through this area. He knows the people to who he's writing. He knows which temptations they have had, which ones they're giving into. Maybe he's had some information. Some people wrote letters to him going, wow, this person, this person, well, this person, this person, this person, this person. Does that ever happen in any churches? Yeah, it does. And he's saying, stop. Stop acting like the housewives of Bithynia. Right? It's not about keeping up with the Corinthians. He's saying, cut it out. It's time to grow up. If there's any backbiting, any slander, spitefulness, cattiness, gossip, smearing, that's all run from our old passions of wanting to control a situation, wanting to compare ourselves to others and put them down. Does this happen today? You just have to open up Facebook and you see it all over the place. Does it happen in our churches today? Yeah, it does. And it may mean a lot of work if we're to follow what Peter says. Hard conversations, ensuring that we don't avoid conflict, that we don't, <laughs> that we don't enter into arguments for the sake of an argument's sake. That we learn to submit to one another, facing conflict, if there's true conflict, with Jesus as our guide. And then Peter says, like newborn babies... Crave spiritual, pure spiritual milk. Yeah, that means just coming right back to the love and grace of God. We can get caught up sometimes in our theology. Well, we've got this right and you've got it wrong, so I've got to correct you. And I've got to tell everybody else that you need to be corrected. Maybe come back to the pure spiritual milk the love and grace of Jesus, recognizing that we all are reliant on that. So by that, and so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So do you know God's grace in your life? Peter says that that really needs to translate into love for others, offering that same grace that we need to stop 
protecting ourselves. Instead, we need to examine what's under the surface, what feelings of insecurity we might have or fear, the temptation for control and power that drive us in how we act towards each other. We need to give it all over to Jesus that we might learn to love like him. So we are in living in that gray zone, this time between eras. Even so, we don't have to be run by our passions, our desires for comfort, our fears, our anxieties. We can have our identity placed firmly in the grace of Jesus, and we can love each other, even as Peter does when we need to remind ourselves to do it. Let's pray together, and we will sing about this wonderful truth. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word and for the challenge that it gives us. Ah, such incredible truth of your love for us, your your pain, our price for our sinfulness. But a very practical outworking of that. That your love would be poured out into each of our hearts for each other and that we would be a people that exemplify that. Not a people that are known for backbiting and gossip, but a people that are known for your incredible love and your grace. I thank you that you have given us Peter and his letters, that he's a man that had to learn this the hard way like we all do. And so we ask that you would teach us through your word, through his life, all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps you heard a little bit of Charles Wesley here taking from Peter and what Peter was was writing. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries. A verse we don't sing very often, but one we chose to sing today. As the angels try to sound the depths of love divine. Amazing love. This is Jesus' love for us. And I encourage you as we close to spread your hands in the symbol of receiving what God has for you today. Charles also wrote that there's no condemnation that we fear, and yet Peter writes some strong words in this letter. But may we go from this service knowing that there's no condemnation, but there is invitation invitation into the fullness of God's love for us and sharing that love with others, that we might be people of his grace, his truth, and his love. So go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.